Hi, you're on Speaking Terms. This is Sam. And this is James. And today we're talking about a really, really, really interesting topic. Something we've talked about quite a bit um, as friends, but something we'd like to discuss a little bit more on our little podcast here. Yeah, today we're talking about man's search for meaning. And we might have brought this up in the past couple episodes. Yeah, I can't remember. I think so. We at brought up a lot of stuff. We, we talked a little bit about yeah. some books. Well, we talked about books. We talked about books a lot. Reading we, is good. Yeah, I think this is one that definitely... It was it was one that we talked about quite a bit in our last episode. Um, but Man's Search for Meaning, just a brief synopsis. It's about psychologist mm-hmm. Viktor Frankl, who spends a little bit of time in concentration camps in Germany during World War II. He's a Jew. He's from Bavaria. Where is he from? I Absolutely. thought he was from Austria. Yeah, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, because when he was on the train, <laughs> yep, yep, he yep. talked about seeing his home city and everyone else is like... Oh, so you grew up there? Sorry, you can't yeah, see it. So we need, need to, to look at it. it. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so he spent some time there. Um, after he was released miraculously from these prison camps, um, he sat down and he wrote his book in like a matter of a week or something short. Yeah. And his original intent was to write it anonymously as just a prisoner. But then he understood like the effect it could have. It could have um from a psychological point of view, and he decided to put his name on it. Yeah. And not to spoil the book too much, but he definitely goes through his experience, and he gets into some of the detail. He leaves a lot of names out. Yeah. And he talks about his personal experience with the camp and how people were selected for the work camps. And if you weren't selected, you were immediately like sent to the gas chambers. Mm-hmm. And just his life in the concentration camp, he eventually became a doctor. Or a nurse and was helping people. Yeah, I think, in effect, yeah. he, he kind of just told some mistruths to the people in charge and said, oh, yeah, I'm a doctor. In well, he wasn't. Anyways, continue. He wasn't I'm, I'm not going to get into semantics with that one. <laughs> but in order to, you know, preserve his own life, he said, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a doctor. I can help. And in a lot of cases, he helped with, like, typhoid cases, typhoid patients. And yeah. And that was the camp that he was rescued from. Yep. At the very end of his story. Yeah. He's in, like, the... Swiss Alps or somewhere. What experience from his story impacted you the most? Um, that's a good question because I feel like the, it's not a long story. No, it's, it's like not, 112 pages yeah. and the pages are really small. Mm-hmm. But I think like the most, the most impactful, I don't know if impactful is a good word for it. Um, not riveting is not good either. The best one, <laughs> I'm trying to find a good word to describe it, but the, the most interesting, not that it's, anyway, was when he's speaking about how they were working in just the worst conditions ever. They had no mm-hmm. food, they had barely any like clothing to protect them from, you know, cold German winters. And he said that even though they were in these just terrible, terrible conditions, that they all still found value in like poetry and art and stuff like that. And I think he describes um, 
once they're like digging a trench to like lay water pipes or something and the and he was digging this trench and it just super sucked cold miserable he doesn't have shoes that fit and they're digging this trench and he looks up and he sees the sun kind of coming up with it's like slow like pink hues and there's a little cabin on the horizon got like the lights on in the window and he said he just he just stopped there for a minute and just kind of took that in and I think he recounts another experience where one of the prisoners um, within their little compound, kind of like he came rushing in to their hut, their little dirt hut. He goes, you guys got to come outside. You guys got to see this. So we're looking outside. It's just a really beautiful sunset. And I think that that kind of speaks to what the book is about of like mental strength, mm-hmm. about how even in the worst of conditions that all these prisoners still had that freedom, if you will, still had that ability to choose to appreciate what was going on around them, you know? Yeah, that was something that the Germans couldn't take away from them Mm -hmm. because it was inside of them. Something that I took away, there was a couple weird things that were in his story. One of them, he was working and I think he had stopped to take a small break Mm -hmm. and instead of the guard coming and railing him, the guard just decided to throw a rock at him. Like someone would throw a rock at like a cow who had gotten over the ditch or just some random animal. Mm -hmm. And he said that that was probably the worst thing that he felt because at that point he wasn't even considered human anymore. He was nothing more than just an animal. And that affected him a lot. Yeah. Um, Then another thing is he mentioned like all the different kinds of people that were in the camp. And he said the people who were, I don't want to use the word successful, but survived the best were the ones that weren't physically stronger. They were the mentally strong ones. Mm -hmm. And you talk about how men that were physically strong would waste away faster than those who were kind of like the intellectual people because intellectual people were able to like go back inside themselves and live inside their mind. And they were comfortable with their internal world which maybe you can be strong, be mentally strong too, but it seems like if you're physically strong, you develop those things, Mm -hmm. those mental capacities a little bit differently than if you weren't. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think um, in regards to that, like mental strength versus Mm -hmm. physical strength in a situation like this, say you're put into a situation like this, Mm -hmm. heaven forbid, um, what what is something that you think you could rely on look forward to that would help you get you through this um i don't know it's so difficult cuz i would say like family friends career opportunities but like all that at this point would would have been taken away and i don't know if i'd ever see my family friends or even my hometown again yeah it's like i don't even know if i'm making it out alive at that point but i don't know i would have to find a new reason why and have to find probably something more spiritual Mm -hmm. um in the book he relates an account that he had with a woman and this girl had grown up really rich she was very superficial in the beginning and then at the very end the thing that gave her hope was like looking out a window 
and seeing two blossoms on a tree. And she says, I talked to this tree. And he's like, uh, does it talk back? And she says, yeah, it talks back. And he's like, oh, she's crazy. She's lost it. But the things that she heard from the tree were, this is life eternal. Like there's more after this life. And she said that she grew spiritually and actually became a better person from her sufferings. Unfortunately, like she didn't make it out of the camp, which is really sad. But it's interesting to see like her acceptance with where she was at changed because of the harrowing experience that she went through. She thought she was a better person for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's another interesting quote. Victor Frankl in his book, he quotes a lot of like psychologists and he brings mm-hmm. up a lot of like previous work to his. Um, but somebody that he brings up is, uh, what's his name? Nietzsche. And mm-hmm. he says, he who has a why to live can survive almost any how. And I think that is like the essence of like mental fortitude is like, if you have a reason to press on, to keep moving forward, then you, you find the way to do it mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think that's a really important point to be making that Victor Frankl within his experience finds his why to live, you know, finds that why, finds that reason that, and then follows through with the how. It kind of, if you understand the why, you're better suited to follow through with the how. Which I would be interested to see. I don't know. I don't want to do like a mock scenario because this is an awful situation to be in, but to see how many people can actually find a why mm-hmm. in these days. Um, I think it's, it's as simple as looking at like, say you don't like your job. Your job sucks. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything like personal, but like, I feel like that's something you have to go to every day in order to, you know, live and survive. Your job provides you with money, which provides you with shelter, food, so on and so forth. Right. If you don't like your job, why are you doing it then? Because I can say, oh, I hate my job. And people are like, well, why are you here? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, for obvious reasons, like I need to pay rent. I need to buy food. I need to put clothes on my back kind of thing. And that's like, that's the immediate, like, why are you here? It's like, well, because I have obvious needs that are supported by this job. Right. So you can muddle through every day and keep going to work and keep, you know, doing something you don't necessarily like, but because you have that, you know, that simple understanding of, well, if I do this, then I get this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Then why not change? What do you mean? I don't know. I remember I don't, most of the jobs I've had, mm-hmm. the first couple months, every day I go home and I was like, I want to quit. This job is not for me. Mm-hmm. And the environment isn't the best, but then I move past that and I start focusing on things that I like. I focus on things that I can control and eventually just more opportunities show up or I finally break through and make the connection with people that I've been wanting to make. Mm-hmm. And then it gets better. And then I'm like, I'm never going to leave this place. This place is finally comfortable. But also realizing like there's more besides the current situation. Mm-hmm. No, that's what keeps me going. Like work is work. Work is boring. Yeah, work. It, I, yeah, it's yeah. work. It's like I just went through five weeks of training mm-hmm. and basically sat down 
and got paid for it. And I was like, oh, this is really cool for about the first three days. And then the rest of the time I was like, this sucks. <laughs> and I felt unproductive in that I wasn't contributing anything. And so I found other ways to contribute and I was helping boost morale and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But just knowing that there was going to be more after this was something that was really beneficial to me. Yeah, that's something I've been yeah. thinking about lately is like short-term gains versus long-term gains. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it like, okay, right now it might suck, but this is helping propel me into a future that I want kind of thing. Yeah. Like right now going to work is supporting me going to school, which is eventually going to lead to a better job and a better environment. Because I feel like the job Hopefully. that I work and that you work is a very entry-level, basic. It is. We're easily replaced. 100%. Yeah. Dispensable. Expendable. Like, yeah. what we do is not unique or special, and we do not fit a role that can't be filled by anyone with a high school diploma. Yeah, that's the base that's requirement. The base requirement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. It's a good job. Um, for what it is, yeah. For what it is. Um, on page 99 of yeah. this book, there's a really good quote, and it says, No situation repeats itself, and each situation calls for a different response. Sometimes the situation in which a man finds himself may require him to shape his own fate by action. At other times, it is more advantageous for him to make use of an opportunity for contemplation and to realize assets in this way. Sometimes man may be required to simply accept fate and bear his cross. Every situation is disguised by its uniqueness, and there is always one correct answer to the problem posed by the situation at hand. I liked that quote mm -hmm. because... I don't know. I feel like there's this stigma. It's like, as long as you're happy, like everything will just work out. And like fact of the matter is like, sometimes it just does not work out. We've talked about that before. And I love how there's like three different options you could take is like one sees the moment you see your options in front of you, or you can create your own option. Mm -hmm. Then number two, it's like, think about what you really want and then choose the best option that's right for you. And then third, it's like, just get through it. Yeah. Like, obviously, this sucks right now. Get over yourself and just accept it and move on. Yeah. yeah. And that's another thing that I've been thinking about as well, along with that <clears throat> short-term versus long-term, um, is that when... Because every day we're presented with unique situations, just like mm -hmm. Victor Frankl said. And, like, if we don't have, you know, a moral foundation that we, that we rely on and stand on, then when we are presented with these unique situations, we're, we're forced to act in a way. But, yeah. And, like, you know, it, with the uniqueness of the situation, sometimes we don't act correctly. Sometimes we behave incorrectly or we, we answer incorrectly kind mm -hmm. of thing. But I feel like when we, when we are able to fall back on, uh, you know, a moral, you know, foundation, if you will, like, you know, who we are kind of thing, who mm -hmm. we feel we are, then that helps confront situations like that. That helps to helps us anyway to answer these pressing questions. I agree. And I feel like that helps answer to go back further to help answer the why. Like, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're mm -hmm. doing? And then when presented with unique situations, it's like that's the why is backing the how at that point. Yeah. And to go along with that, you don't have to be in bad situations to give things up. Mm -hmm. It's like everything comes with an opportunity cost. Yeah. And I've recently been faced with a lot of good decisions 
but those decisions take away from social activities. They take yeah. away from familial time. And I'm starting to feel myself not get detached, but starting to grow apart from people. Yeah. And it's a good thing because I'm progressing towards my goals, but it's also like, well, where am I going to be? And it's hard to accept a good thing when you start to feel these feelings of loneliness and you start to feel overwhelmed by life and all the good things that are happening because everything hits you all at once. Mm -hmm. And knowing like you can still push past that and know you're on the right track, even though you may be giving up things that help you feel comfortable right now. Because comfortability, it's good. Mm -hmm. But if we were all to really, how do I want to phrase this? Move forward into the future. A lot of us are, aren't going to be in the same place where we are mm -hmm. now. And if you move into the next stage of life really fast, you're going to have to give up a lot of stuff. And... It feels like when you give up all that stuff that you're not going to get anything in return. Mm -hmm. and, well, and that's why I feel like outside yeah. of the comfort zone isn't comfortable, you know? Like when we're trying right. to grow and move forward, we're like, we're broadening our, <laughs> our horizons, if you will. That a lot of, you know, growing, pro progressing is moving into an mm -hmm. unknown part of our lives. And... Change, change, excuse me, change is not a comfortable thing, I feel. No. Like. <clears throat> and I think the biggest thing for me is even regardless of what change it is, but especially positive change, is like the people who you want to come with you can't come with you. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because they're going to go do their other stuff and like good for them. They're going to do awesome things. But from your perspective, it's like you're alone again. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing. And that's what I'm having to like come to terms with right now. Yeah. Is that loneliness isn't inherently bad. It's just part of the process of growth. Mm -hmm. yeah. You won't always be alone. It's like no. it's like stress. No. Like stress can be good or bad. You know, like you can use it as motivation to like accomplish things or you yeah. can like let it like freeze you and you know, prevent you from actually accomplishing things. I feel like loneliness is just the motivation to like go out, meet new people, make new friends. <laughs> Or it is. you can let it sit and fester. Yeah, you have your choices. Miserable. You can do what you want with it. And that's the beauty of like change, at least in this book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. um, these people's lives, these Jews in the Holocaust, mm -hmm. their lives changed very fast in a very poor mm -hmm. direction. And they became very uncomfortable very quickly. And I feel like that immediate, as humans, we like to, you know, sit in our routines, you know, get in the, get in the, the, the habit of doing the same thing every day. And when we're forced out of that, we freak out. And if we're, yeah, we do. If we're forced out of it in the way that these poor people were like, we're, we're suddenly forced to like confront like who we mm -hmm. are, what we stand for, how we're going to react to things. And I feel like. Victor Frankl's answer to that, well, how do you respond to change? Well, as humans, we're, already, we're always responding to change. We're always growing. We're always progressing in some direction, good or bad. 
And our response to that is like how we actually grow in a positive direction, yeah. I feel. And I feel like Viktor Frankl discussed that very well in his book, saying that like with the proper mental fortitude and the proper understanding and reasoning why we're here, that helps propel us in a good direction despite the change that we might face, good or bad, because we're mm-hmm. always, like you said, there's good, better, and best decisions. And we don't always know what's what until we move in that direction, right? Right. But I feel like when we understand why we're here, what we're doing, what our purpose is, if you will, Mm -hmm. then we can move forward and change in a positive direction. And then as we do search for that meaning, you know, as we do search for, you know, our purpose, I feel like we find it within that journey of confronting change Mm -hmm. and reacting to it in a positive way. And he talked about people who like transcended their environment almost. And he said that it was extremely rare for people to do that. But those men that he talked about had just a deep moral foundation that I'm not going to say demanded them to react in a certain way, but definitely helped them Mm -hmm. form those decisions. And they just were able to maintain their humanity and maintain a lot more of their identity than people who weren't able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about. What was it? Here, let me pull up I, my notes. I did have one question. Yeah. If you, and I'm not sure we know who this man is or what he did, like the full extent of mm-hmm. his experience. We know a little bit about what he shared with his, with his book, but if you were able to sit down and ask him one question, what, what do you think you'd ask? I I don't know if this man was religious or not. Yeah. Um, he does allude to God a little bit. And at the very end, he talks about after going through all the suffering and pain and the experience of the Holocaust, that he doesn't have anything to fear anymore except God. And I would love to understand his perspective more on God and if the Holocaust actually brought him closer to God and helped him form a spiritual connection with him, or if it just was there and just an intellectual thought. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. What about you? I could ask him any question. Well, I'd love just to sit down and like listen to him talk yeah. about everything. Um, if I could ask him anything, oof. I think it would be along the lines of like what his why was. And he talks a lot about his wife and it becomes the understanding that even if she is dead, that that love that they have kind of transcends, Mm -hmm. you know, their current situation. And so I'd like to know a lot about like, probably not a lot, but a little bit about like his relationship with his wife and like, yeah, why that became his why. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, after, you know, obtaining the freedom, getting out of the camps, how everyone reacted and how they developed after their freedom. Mm -hmm. He talks about 
this particular one guy, he said that he was a great comrade, had no issues with him. And then after he obtained his freedom, he turned into a really bitter person. And they were walking just along the path. And then this dude grabs Victor Frankel's arm and they start walking through an oat field. And Victor's like, no, we don't do that. This is crops. Like, this is food. And this dude says, who cares? After what I've been through, they're going to take this away from me too. After I've lost my wife, my kid, and he just went off. (laughs) And, you know, we see that sometimes when people um, have been through really hard experiences that they become bitter and that they also become the oppressors because they feel justified in their feelings or expressions and they want to show the world, like, I'm not going to take your bullcrap anymore. I'm not going to take your lemons. I'm going to burn down your house. <laughs> and, zero to 60 real quick. Yeah, zero to 60 <laughs> real quick. But that's that's how it is. Mm-hmm. It's like you're finally out of being oppressed and you never want to go back to that stage in life. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to develop a really thick skin and become a really hard person so that no one approaches you again. And I understand that. That... That's a valid way of doing it. But I'm not saying that that's the best way to do it because you're still not who you used to be. I'm not saying you should go back, but you're not fully a whole person because you're not allowing the humanity back in. Mm-hmm. You're not like, yeah, I went through these things, but I'm also going to choose to be a good person. There's no right way to do the wrong thing. And if you're still going to be you can't out monster the monster because you're just going to become that monster and probably worse and so we have to be careful with that with the hard experiences that we go through that we don't become bitter and angry just like the people who are oppressing us i have i think it's a quote by nietzsche i think it is too but uh he says something about monsters i wish i could I know I sent it to you. Yeah, we can <laughs> scroll back through the messages. <laughs> There's a lot of them. That's Let's good, though. See. Oh, yes. You you even said part of it. But Nietzsche said, is it better to out-monster the monster or to be quietly devoured? And I, I remember this conversation that we had. And I was like, ah, you could become a monster or it's better to have a monster inside of you, but learn how to control it and have boundaries with it. Because if you just let that run wild like you're just going to become just as bad and uncontrollable as they are. But also like, don't be a pushover and just get eaten either. Yeah. Like there's definitely you're better a third than option that. there. Yeah. Third option is stand up for yourself. Yeah. I feel like that was active or not active. That was passive and aggressive. And there is an active, you know, where you like establish a boundary and say, Hey, don't do that. Mm-hmm. But if people actively, you know, like go against that boundary, you say, well, then the monster comes out and goes, don't bite your head off. Yeah. It does. 
And then the other part is people became disillusioned. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I remember I've been disillusioned before and it was a really weird experience because a lot of things that I had previously held value to, I was like, this does not matter anymore. And there's a lot bigger things to worry about than the things that I thought were important. And I remember it, it was hard socially for me because everyone else is all happy and go lucky. And I'm over here thinking about other things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you guys actually knew what was going on in the world right now or in other people's lives, I don't know if we'd be as happy. And then I realized like, no, let them be happy. Mm -hmm. Let them live their lives because just because of my experiences, um, Let me, let me back up. It's like, yeah, my experiences helped me become disillusioned with reality. But I was like, okay, we can focus on that or we can broaden our perspective and be like, yeah, there's actually still good stuff here. And there's still other stuff that we can focus on and develop. And yeah, maybe th- those experiences will always be a part of me. But it's like, there's more to it than that. And there's more to come and more to add to those experiences that'll bring me happiness. But he talks about in the book, like people were leaving the camps, they were going back to their home and they're like, hey, I just went through these awful things. And the people in their hometown were like, oh, that really sucks. We didn't know about that. We too have suffered. And I think there was just this comparison of suffering, which is hard. And I'm not saying we should compare our suffering with other people. It's like, we all go through hard things. Mm-hmm. Some of us go through much harder things than others, but how you choose to live after that. That's what really matters. That's what really matters. Yeah. So last, last question before we finish up here. Um, so after reading this book, how did your perception of your experiences change? Or like what big, what big changes have you made since reading this book? Or have you? I think it gave me better resolve to stick with where I've made my decisions um, and continue to, I don't know, the good, better, best model. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. Just like give you some background. Um, I feel like we can all be happy with just mediocrity. Yeah. And we can all be happy with the status quo and nothing would ever be expected of us and we'll never expect anything from anyone else. I would love to say I can just be a simple man, but I've recently learned that I am not just a simple man. (laughs) And there've been some opportunities and some people coming into my life recently that have shown me like what could be and stuff that I can grow into. And reading this book helped me understand like, yeah, that's what I actually want. Yeah, a lot more is going to be required of me. Yeah, I'm going to have to deal with some really difficult people one day. But I think I'll be happiest over there. Mm-hmm. That's the best way for me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Um, I've read this book time and time again. Just, uh, I don't know. I feel like when you read stuff like this or you experience things like this, it kind of like forces a perspective change mm-hmm. to where you're kind of like brought out of your own self and you're required to live life through someone else's eyes. And uh, I think 
Viktor Frankl does a, an extremely good job of that in writing his story and not seeming too preachy or like, I'm so good for experiences, experiencing this kind of thing. I agree. And I feel like the, the best thing that I took away from this was like, this is one of the worst experiences a person could ever have. So maybe mine's not that bad, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I have, I have off. I, I have a really bad in life. I've got a really bad lot. No, it's just saying that like a lot of people have had it a lot worse. So going through what I'm going through, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe I hate my job. The takeaway is that there are worse things and that I can definitely have a better attitude of like the situations that I do find myself in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a really good conversation. I feel the same way. Yeah. We, this has been Speaking Terms with Sam. And James. And we'll catch you later. <laughs>